Good morning. Our sermon text this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, starting at verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. I want to share with you a story that a friend told me this week. It happened many years ago. My friend told me that uh, a man started to come to their church, and uh, it, was a, it, was a, it was a man that wanted to learn more about the Bible and about faith and about Jesus, and it seemed as though he was really growing in faith and engaging, and he was really soaking it in. After some time, he came to his church, and he said to them, um, I'm sorry, Pastor, but uh, uh, my family and I were going through a, a financial difficulty right now, and so I'm going to have to take on a second job. And that second job happens to be on a, what, Sunday morning. I can't be in church as much as I used to be. Well, some time went by, and sure enough, um, he got out of the financial trouble that he was in. And the church followed up with him again and said, we haven't seen you in a while. Are you doing okay? And, and he said, well, yeah, actually, I kept the second job. It's, it's actually a pretty nice little cushion for our family, and now I can give my family things that we didn't have before. And now we have... A boat. And pastor, I got to tell you, on the weekends, we're on our boat. And so that's why you're not seeing us in church on Sunday. And by the way, pastor, I never believed any of that stuff anyway. Tragic, isn't that? I'd say so. I don't put a bow on the end of that story because that's the same sort of story that you just heard in the young rich man that came to Jesus, there's no happy, joyful ending to this story. In fact, there's a warning that Jesus gives to all people about um, this gift that God gives people called wealth and money. And it caused a man to walk away from the faith and walk away from his Savior, walk away from the real Jesus, grieving, grieving because he had such great wealth. And he couldn't find the answers to the thing that he came to Jesus to find out about. And this morning, we're going to look at this story, and we're going to ask ourselves, and this is important for each and every one of us, whether we have great wealth or whether we don't have great wealth, how can we avoid walking away from Jesus 
grieving? How can, that, how can this story not be our story? And the answer is, is that by grace, we have what Jesus gives us is called treasures in heaven, and we're going to learn that by grace and the real Jesus in our life, that we can stand by him and we can put to death the things that he tells us to put to death the monster within, the cancer of the soul within. By grace, Jesus has done that, and by grace, he lets us stand with him so that we never will walk away like this young man or like the man that I told you about in the story. A couple of things. The first thing that we're going to notice in this story is we're going to meet the real Jesus. I don't know if this guy came to Jesus um, um, assuming things about him, but it seems like he did. It doesn't seem like he really knew who Jesus was and what Jesus was all about. The first thing is that the real Jesus challenges our self-justification. And Jesus challenges this man's self-justification in a very real way. Um, it's, he says, good teacher. He calls him a good teacher. He asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. Um, the first shocking thing we learn about Jesus is that He's not just a good teacher. He's much more than that. This man is a moral man. He's a rich man, and he's rich in two ways. He's rich in wealth, and he's rich in good works. He's rich in morality. You'd say he's a good person. He's uh, a person, unlike, uh, much like, I should say, the people that maybe are, are in this city of Austin, rich in, in, in a big heart for loving other people and rich in wealth. This is not a poor city. He comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, what must I do um, to get over the top? What is that one thing that I need to do so that I can be pushed over that, that threshold and I can enter the kingdom of God? Because I have all of this wealth. It looks like God is smiling down at me. And I have all of this good stuff that I do in my life. I just need to know good teacher and Jesus. Here's the thing about Jesus. If you really want to get to know the real Jesus, a lot of people think that God is like two parts. Like there's the God of the Old Testament, and the God of the Old Testament is the God who was the bad cop. He was the God that made all the rules. He was the God that made you eat your Brussels sprouts and your broccoli. I'm sorry, you probably may like Brussels sprouts and broccoli. He's the God that that made you eat your liver and onions. I don't care if you're Democrat, Republican, or whatever you think. Everybody says liver and onions are nasty. That's the God of the Old Testament. And then all of a sudden, The New Testament comes along and you meet Jesus. And the idea that people have in their head is, oh, he's the good teacher. He's the one who is, um, I'm going to say, tolerant of sin. He's the one that's easy on sinners. No, 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 no. That's the farthest thing from the truth. There is one God, Jesus says. And the one God, if you're going to compare morality here, and you're going to compare a good teacher? No, you, you're on the wrong scale. You're on the wrong tracks. If you want to talk good, Jesus says, let's talk about goodness and God's definition of goodness. Jesus, here's the thing, demands much more than you ever thought. But he offers much more than you ever imagined. He demands much more than you ever thought of you personally. But he offers so much more than you ever imagined. And you're going to see that in this story. It caused people to walk away. He's sh- when, if you were to talk to the Jesus of the Bible, not the Jesus of people's imagination, you'd be shocked. you just open up your Bible. Um, John chapter 4, he talks to a woman at the well, a woman who's a Samaritan, and he says, salvation is from the Jews. <laughs> how, how, how ethnocentric is that? But it's true. He offends people, and he makes them think. 
to the woman in, um, in Matthew, where she's a Canaanite woman. She comes to Jesus and she says, please help my daughter. Please help her. Jesus says to her, I, I'm not going to take the, the, the food that's meant for children and feed it to the dogs. He called her a dog. And in that moment, she says, but even the dogs get the scraps from the table. And he says, I've never seen such great faith. But do you see how he got there? If you met the Jesus of the Bible and you ran into him like this young man and you did not believe that he offered you more than you could ever imagine and he demanded from you more than you ever thought, you would walk away grieving too. And Jesus is the master uh, physician of the soul. That's why he speaks the way that he does. And we should be shocked personally about what he demands of us. This is what he demands of us. He says to him, um, you know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He goes on and on through this list of commandments. And what does the young man say? He says, all these I've kept since I was a boy. My whole life. Again, right? Rich, morally, a good person. In his mind, he's saying to himself, I need to add something. I need to add something to this good life that I've already built up and I'm going to add what this good teacher tells me to add. But my friends, Jesus is not an addition to your morality. He's not like another trophy that you put up on the shelf to add to your life that makes it complete. He is not um, like another app that you have on your phone that says, well, all these other apps, they get me along in life, but I really need this Jesus app. It'd be really helpful to have him on my phone to help me out in those times that I've... No, he's not an addition to your life. What Jesus is doing with this young man and what he's doing with my heart and with your heart is that he's completely tipping us upside down and emptying of us of ourselves completely because that's how the real Jesus destroys our self-justification, and he should destroy your self-justification as he's doing to this man, and he's about to do it in a brilliant way. He does, it by, he does it by murdering the idol in the heart. He does it by murdering that idol in the heart, and that's the next point. He threatens our idols, and he's threatening this man's idol. I love this verse. It's one of those that you circle, underline, and highlight in your Bible because you get... You get to the heart of what Jesus is all about. He demands more than we could ever imagine, and he offers more than we ever could think of. He looked at the man, verse 21, and loved him. You have a doctor that says to you, we've we got to do some tests, and the doctor says, um, we're going to do the, the scan of your your heart or your body, we're going to do the x-rays, we're going to do the MRI, and finally they get the results, and he, he takes you into the room, and he puts those pictures up on that wall with the light behind it, and he looks at you, and he says, that right there, that right there, that's what's killing you, but we're going to get through this, and I'm, I have the answer. I'm going to take you through this. I'm going to destroy that. We're going to get this together, and that's what we're going to do. Jesus looks at this man, and he loves him. He puts the picture up on the wall. He looks at his face and he reads him like a book, not just the facial expressions. And I believe that he's passionate and this man wants answers on his face, but he looks into his heart and he says, there's the cancer. There's the monster that's eating you up inside. And I'm going to tell you how to get through this. I'm going to give you the answer. He says, go, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. His logic is flawless. 
Oh yeah, you've kept all the commandments. You've honored your father and mother. You haven't murdered. You haven't committed adultery. You've done all these things. Well, have you kept the first commandment? Here I am, your Lord and Savior standing in front of you. I'm God, and I'm going to tell you this. Get rid of it all. It's not hyperbole. It's not a parable. He means it. He says, get rid of it all. Run for your life. This is the way that's keeping you away from a relationship with God. It's your heart. It's not the money. It's your monster eating you up inside that's devouring everything you can get in life, and it's taking your relationship with God away. Christianity is not about adding more. Christianity is about emptying and that's what Jesus is doing here. He says, run for your life. I need your heart again. Your heart is missing. You've run after everything in your life, and you've set yourself up with your money. Um, if you have ever seen new glass before, maybe it's your new glasses, and, uh, or maybe it's new glass that was installed in your car, the windshield that was cracked, and now it's fixed again. And as that, that glass is coming off of the truck, right out of the factory, it looks beautiful. It's clear. You can see through it. There's no dings. There's no cracks or anything. It looks perfect on the outside. There's no bugs on it yet. But if you were to take that glass and put it under a microscope and look really closely at it, you're going to see scratches all over it. It's not perfect. This man, on the outside, he looks perfect. He's rich morally. He's rich uh, with wealth. It looks like God is smiling down on him, but God looks into our hearts and he sees the scratches that nobody else sees. And we can put stuff on Facebook and we can project things on Instagram and we can make our life look all cleaned up. But God has a microscope and you know what it looks like in there, just like he knows what it looks like in there. It's messed up. And there are idols in there that we worship that nobody else sees except God. And God looks at you and he loves you. And he says, I'm going to take care of this. Jesus demands more than you ever thought. But he offers more than you ever imagined. Um, love of money. Just, just, I'm not going to stay on this very long, but the love of money is the root of all evil. It's not the money. That's what it says in 1 Timothy. Money does stuff to people, whether you have money it's dangerous, or whether you don't have money, money is still dangerous. For those people who have money, it's a good thing, it's a blessing from God, but it's dangerous because when we accumulate money, it's, we, we do so sometimes because we feel like if we have more money in our life, if we have more wealth, we can take care of more of our problems because money can take care of problems. And soon we build up and accumulate wealth, and all of a sudden, the problems that we think that we can solve have been, have been actually uh, multiplied because we have more stuff in our life. And now we're running after the luxuries of life. And now we're worried about not losing our money. Do you see how money is a problem for people who have money? And it becomes a security blanket that isn't God. Um, in his book, uh, Ask, Thank, Tell, Charles Lane says this. He says that Jesus talks about money more than any other subject in the Bible except for the kingdom of God. Why is that? And I wonder, I wonder that myself. You know, there's sickness in our life. There's health stressors. Um, and then there are uh, family stressors, relationship stressors. Those, all those things are very important, too, and they could bring our relationship away from God. But very often, sometimes those stressors actually bring us closer to God. But money, money and, the, the, and wealth, 
very often we become more confident. And people who get rich, I'm not saying this is a blanket statement, but I've known people who get rich and then they think, I'm so wise. I'm so smart. I'm so wise because I can make more money than anybody else. I must be wise in these other areas of my life. Pastor, I never believe that stuff anyways, right? You see how money puffs up and it's dangerous when it doesn't have a rightful place in our life? And it's a problem for people who don't have money too. And I'm speaking to a, a mixed audience of people with lots of money and people with hardly any money here. I, we're all in, in between. Uh, but it's for people that don't have money, it becomes, it becomes something you look at in somebody else's life and you say, I want that. Why can't I have that, God? And there's envy and bitterness against other people and against God because you haven't been given things that other people have. Do you see the monster that consumes our life when we don't have money or if we do have money? And so Jesus is saying, get rid of that thing. I'm, I'm your Savior. I'm your God. Jesus offers more than you could ever imagine. That's why he says in the end, and the disciples are shocked, aren't they? And they say, well, well who could be saved if this man who is so cleaned up and so rich and so moral, if he can't be saved, then who can be saved? With man, that's impossible, Jesus says, but not with God. With God, there's not anything that he can't do. He's taken your heart, the one that had that idol in it, put that up on the screen, and he says, I've done something about that. I've made you my treasure. I've given you my life. Isaiah 49. If you haven't been there before, there's a beautiful verse in there that says, Can a mother forget about the baby that nurses at her breast? Can she neglect the child that she gave birth to? She may forget about them, and she can, but I will not forget about you. I have engraved you on my hand. Jesus has made you his treasure. There's nothing more important in his life, even though he's richer than the richest nations on earth, and he's the God of them all, that he came down and he said, I'm giving it all up because I'm going to do for you what you couldn't do. He engraves you on his hand, the same hands that he stretched out on a cross to give his life for you. Now, is there a greater treasure in your life? Is there a greater gospel message in your life that says that I don't have to be envious if I don't have money? I don't have to be greedy. I don't have to be bitter towards God because he's made me his treasure. And when, and by the way, there's no place in the Bible that says you need to give all of your money. Jesus is asking this man to. But when your treasure is there in heaven, then... You have a gift that moth and rust can't destroy. Thieves cannot break in and steal. You think about all those pharaohs that had rooms and rooms of their stuff when they died, hoping that their stuff would go with them to the eternal. No, you know where their stuff is? It's not in eternity. It's in museums. You know where your stuff is going to be at the end? It's going to be left behind. But not with Jesus. With Jesus, you have, with Jesus, you have a mother that has never forgotten about you and can't that gave birth to you spiritually through, through, through his blessings and baptism 
and the creation of faith through his word and keeps you close to him and says, I've put you on my hands and I'm not going to forget about you. Your name is written in heaven. I have to commend you on that hymn that you sang just moments ago. Not just the choir, but the whole congregation. Um, I, I know that it's well sung not because of all the notes that were being hit or weren't being hit, but by what was happening right here. And I can see it on some of your faces too. When you sing, Jesus, your blood and righteousness, my beauty are. My glorious dress, mid-flaming worlds in these arrayed, with joy shall I lift up my head. Now that, my friends, is treasure. It's not found in your bank account or in the model of car that you drive. It's not found in your dress size. It's found in the fact that your Savior has made you his treasure, so make him yours. Amen.